Let's get it. This is Life's Essential Ingredients with Jeff and a mic, where we hope to inform, inspire, and transform lives one essential ingredient at a time. Welcome to the show. Here we go. Here we go. Got a great episode coming uh, with uh, an incredible guest, Mike Aker, uh, coming from Fairhope, Alabama. And it's great to see my Pasho back. So I'll just say uh, good afternoon and good morning uh, to everybody and allow Mike and Mike to, to say hello to each other. Hey, good morning, Mike. How you doing? Welcome to the show. And thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey, absolutely. Thank you so much, Jeff and Mike, for having me. Looking forward to talking with you and adding value to all of your audience. Yes, yes, yes. And definitely gives me some tremendous value because Mike has a very interesting background. And first of all, where you can find him is MikeAker.com. Uh, and it's M-I-K-E-A-C-K-E-R.com or at Steps to Advance. Dot com. And so a little bit about Mike. He's a keynote speaker, author, executive, and communication coach with over 20 years of speaking, leadership development, and organ- organizational management experience. Uh, beyond corporate training, Mike engages his local community. And this was uh, uh, historically uh, as a Seattle TEDx speaker coach, but Mike recently moved to Fairhope, Alabama. So I'm sure that one's editing, um, but he also works with international agencies to provide relief uh, amidst poverty. Um, Mike enjoys wake surfing, skiing, Disney trips, church, building Legos with his son Paxson, and going on dates with his wife Taylor. Uh, No matter if he is bringing out the best in the audience, playing with family, or connecting with friends, Mike practices being patient or present i'm sorry and i love that and we're going to explore uh, that because i think that is such a key thing uh, in itself uh, with all the distractions that we have uh, going on in the world mike believes in the power of prayer exercise journaling and real community to enc- to counter the stresses of everyday life mike has authored several books including speak with no fear uh, which he sent to me and i uh, read that and loved that book i uh, love your style of writing love how you introduce a quote uh, at the start of each chapter just for me personally that just ah, I love those books and then it was just a practical uh, everyday book if you're getting ready to give a talk you gotta read that book speak with no fear he also authored right to speak uh, grow your soul and lead with no fear uh, which also has a workbook um, upcoming book releases but then I was just on your Instagram and I think this one might be out now connect through emotion intelligence uh, so make sure to check that one out uh, future books I believe speak uh, online meetings and virtual communication prepare to speak and choose your reputation a very cool uh, aspect about this book choose your reputation uh, that's coming out he wrote that book with his wife Taylor that had to be really fun and uh, a cool experience I'm almost done here Mike so Mike is also the CEO of his company steps to advance whose mission is to turn potential potential into actual by advancing people in communication, leadership, and confidence. Mike has a big heart and is driven to give back, uh, and he does that through uh, one way, is through an incredible nonprofit called Go on the Mission. And you can find out more about what that great organization is doing by 
going to goonthemission.com. Since Mike has so much free time, uh, he has his own podcast called Masters of Employee Development. And I don't know how you get all this done. I was telling my wife this morning uh, of just getting ready. We get up and exercise and then sit and have a cup of coffee. And I was like, man, I just love doing this podcast because I get to meet incredible people. And in Mike and researching you, I was like, man, how does this guy have all this time? Uh, and you do all these things. And, and I'm going to guess this, I could be wrong, but I go back to Mike practices being present that life is in slow motion. And I don't know if that makes sense to you uh, or not because you are so busy. Um, but I'll get your thoughts on that in a second. I just want to say welcome to the show and thanks for all the work that you do to make this world better, to give back, uh, and to help people overcome fear with uh, speaking. Um, what a great gift to, to share with the world. So Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much, Jeff. I really appreciate that. That was a, a fantastic intro. It made me feel good about myself. So <laughs> hey, that's that's like, hey, who's that Mike. Guy? Uh, yeah, Mike and I always said, hey, we just want to help one person and that one person, we for sure want the guest to feel like this was the best use of their time. And I think we've done pretty good at that. But I think the one person that this show has helped the most, to be honest, has been me. Uh, I've just been touched. And Pasho saying himself, too, I've been touched in the best possible way uh, with meeting people all over the world. And just when you think the world is getting a little bit crazy with everything that's been going on, uh, you have to keep seeing the good. And that's what this has been. And Life's Essential Ingredients has been incredible uh, for us and some of the feedback that we get. We have listeners in 18 countries now, uh, and it's just been a great experience. Uh, so, Mike, normally for us, we start the show out with a, a thought of the day just to kind of get us going. And no pressure on you. It's probably more on me, but I definitely want some honest feedback from you. This is our 42nd episode, and I've been 100%. Uh, with picking these babies. So you can tell me, Jeff, hey, you're smoking some stuff. That thing doesn't mean nothing to me uh, and you're way off. Or hopefully uh, we knock this one out of the park and you're like, ah, that's a great quote. And I see why you picked that for me and what you do. So here it goes. It's from Vincent Van Gogh. If you hear a voice within you say you cannot paint, then by all means paint and that voice will be silenced. What are your thoughts on that? Oh man, that is a fantastic. So your 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 record continues. Nice. First of all, I absolutely love Vincent Van Gogh. And if I were to say my number one artist, it's Vincent Van Gogh. I went to see him at the Seattle Art Museum years ago, not him, but his work. And oh my gosh, I just stared at his paintings and just soaked it in. I've read books on him back when I was in my young 20s. So just absolutely love it. So it reminded me of that, first of all. And then I did not know that quote, but it goes along with one, whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. I think that's Henry Ford. Mm -hmm. And in that quote, it's the same type of idea. Your, your thinking matters so much. And what I love that Vincent van Gogh saying here is, if you think you can't do the things, go still step forward and you'll be able to. And I tell people again and again, yet often feelings will follow your actions. Mm -hmm. So your emotion, your, your actions change your emotion. 
And that's part of what he's saying here. So just extrapolating some of those ideas, right? If you have the act of painting, it will change how you feel about your ability to paint. And if you think you can't paint, well, you're right. But if you think you can't paint and you try to paint, try to try to start painting, then you'll be able to start learning. So I love it. I tell people again and again, people come to me and they'll talk about their speaking, their communication. One of the largest portions of what I do is, is helping people in their communication improve. And one of the things that they all come to me and say, just, I just can't do this. And I'll say, well, let's change that. Let's give you some feedback and then let's start helping you. And they'll make some some huge changes. I was just working with the client yesterday, flew out to meet with him. We were working together for five hours. And as we were working on it, he was changing some major things about his communication style. And he gets to the end of our five-hour appointment, five-hour session. And he's like, man, I feel better. Mm. Absolutely. Because you've been acting all day towards the goal that you have. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I love, man, follow feelings will follow your actions. And uh, yeah, just, emotions follow actions or actions create emotions. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that, that one of the things that jumped out at me of, of, you know, part of researching you is just the power of being present. And, and that's where I maybe misspoke. I hope not, but was saying that life might be in slow motion for you. And I would love for you just right out of the gate to share how, how, what advice do you have to the listeners on staying present in a world that is just demanding so much attention everywhere else. Uh, and so you can't get into that space of developing these feelings that will follow your actions and being able to even to sit back and, and take action on the things that you want to do. Um, so yeah, what are yeah, you yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so one of the things that I find very helpful is I use a, a journal in the morning and every single day, especially on vacations and stuff. But when I'm in my, my high productivity time, I map out my day using the best self journal. And there's a ton of journals like this. That's the one I use. And so really in increments of 30 minutes, my day is mapped out, but that helps me in two ways. It helps me at the beginning of the day, look through what I'm going to be doing. It helps me be present. I take a stock of the day. I write down three things I'm grateful for. One of the ways to be present is to think through what you're grateful for. And I try to get minutia involved in what I'm grateful for. So it's not just, I'm grateful for a beautiful day. I'm grateful for a beautiful day where the clouds are slowly rolling in and see there's a description to it. So I'm present and I'm really thinking through what I'm grateful for. I'm grateful for my white desk that somehow doesn't look dirty even after it accumulates dust for a month. So things like that, where it's just more specific and really trying to get into the minutia that we're grateful for. Obviously, sometimes I'll just put in something that I've put in many times before, the smile of my wife or the laughter of my son and things that I've written down multiple times and just going back to it. So I start in the morning with this being present, being grateful. And then throughout the day, I've written down what I'm doing and I try to make sure that I'm enjoying every aspect of the day. So this moment right now, instead of thinking through, oh, I got this coming up and that coming up and that coming up, just I get to be here with Jeff and Mike. I get to talk about life. I get to do this. Now, there's other times where it's high production and I have to be doing stuff 
stuff and writing stuff or creating stuff or invoicing or whatever it is and trying to make sure that I'm not missing that moment. Mm-hmm. A lot of people miss out on life because they're always looking for what's ahead. Mm-hmm. This is actually one of the strategies of my book. And I even refined it in the second edition of Speak With No Fear, where I talk about that there's a joy in speaking, even if you haven't found it, there's a joy in speaking that if you will embrace the joy, since joy and fear are mutually exclusive, if you'll find the joy in the moment, your fear will be reduced. Mm. So as you're preparing, find joy in preparing, find joy in understanding what you need to communicate to your audience in researching that which you need to uh, communicate and getting the right statistics and putting together a slide deck and enjoy that whole process. And then when you get up there, be present. Don't be thinking about, I can't wait to be done with this. Be thinking about, here I am, I'm alive. I got this electricity flowing through my body. I'm converting it. I'm using these, these strategies of speaking to one and really not making it about myself. And I'm, I'm really helping people in this moment. And then afterwards, don't just move past it, but take a moment to debrief what, you happen, what happened. I figured this out a couple of years ago. I was actually speaking at a church and I talked about making this the best Christmas ever by not comparing and competing. And really during that time, I realized how much I was looking at Instagram. And when you look at Instagram, you're often comparing yourself to the lives of others. And when you compare, it leads to typically one of two results, either pride, like look how much better I am than that person, man, I have this and this. Or if they're, if they're better than you, it leads to pity. Like, look how much better they are than me. Mm-hmm. And so instead of me just enjoying what I have and being content and liking my house, and liking my cars and, and enjoying the people I have, we compare ourselves to a pretend picture of someone else. Mm-hmm. It really, it's, I can't even stress that how pretend often these are because even in my life, when people go, man, Mike, you had everything going on there. They don't know that, that there might be something going on behind the scenes. They don't know that my mom had just recently died or that this difficulty or that difficulty. Uh, I remember seeing a couple one time they pulled up to the church and it just looked like their life was together. And two months later, they were divorced and he was in jail. And I was like, whoa, where did that come from? And so we often compare our lives to false pictures or pretend pictures or enhanced pictures that leads to pride or pity. Neither of those are great places to be. Instead of pride or pity, yeah, take a glance at those things from time to time, but be present with where you are. If you are with your son or with your wife, with your family, and you're on the phone, it takes you away from being that present with that moment. And I'm guilty of it too. But if you really want to be present, take stock of what's around you, the minutia, and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Man, you said a whole bunch right there, and I love that. And uh, yeah, the comparisons and compete, I think, is one of the greater challenges, uh, and especially when you're on social media and using that so much. And some of the work that I've done through our nonprofit and this Life's Essential Ingredients is part of C4 Leaders, which is a nonprofit uh, to where we use currently pizza to build community and bring people together. Um, but in that, uh, I've done work with trying to help people learn how to tell their story. And I came up with this equation. E squared does not equal S and H E squared equals decrease F and P. And what that means is expectations and entitlements, which is going along the same lines of what you were saying, 
don't equal success and happiness when you have that mindset it's actually going to decrease your focus and your performance uh, with whatever you're trying to do because you're putting all your energy into the wrong things and doesn't allow you to be present doesn't allow you to be grateful uh, just allows you to compare and look at life through a lens that is just not healthy so i love uh, what you're saying with that uh, i want to get into one one huge part of what you do best and it's going to sound like just a, a little bit of a naive question, but define communication and and what how you see people. What are some of the best tips that you give your clients that could help our listeners just be a better communicator? Um, because I just another thing that I think the social media. Not that I'm against technology, but I think we're just distracted. And so um, I think we're not good communicators because uh, we're not doing things that we should be doing. So I just want, yeah, I would love for you to share what communication is and, and how can we do better uh, at being a better communicator? Communication ultimately is transferring a message, a thought, an idea, a principle from one person to one or more people. That's what communication is. So right now I'm communicating not only to you, Jeff and Mike, but to your audience by transferring the idea of what communication is from me to you. One principle to make communication better is to think about the connection that's between me and you, the speaker and the audience. And often what happens is communication lacks because the communicator thinks that by talking out loud, by sharing it out there, by saying it, that they've communicated and connected. But not always does a communicator connect the message that they're trying to share, the idea that they're trying to share with the audience that they're trying to share with. And so two thoughts on that. One, ensure that you're actually connecting with the people you're talking to. And so even as I go into this, I'm trying to think of, okay, so who's Jeff and Mike? What is their audience wanting? They're looking at life essentials. Communication is a life essential. So I'm thinking through the audience in mind. Sometimes people just talk at, but not talk to. So that's the first thought. Mm. Think about how to talk to, not at. Mm. And leaders are, man, they're so guilty of this. All right, team, this is what we got going. Here's what I got to tell you. And here, da, 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 da. that's talking at. Talking to is thinking about, Okay, team, let me talk to you about what's going on. This is really going to, and then it's really personalizing it. It's skills are part of that. Eye contact is part of that. Nonverbals are part of that. Really thinking through the purpose of your message is part of that. Kind of like a Simon Sinek, start with why. Mm -hmm. uh, there are some great things in my second book, Right to Speak, where I talk about why are you talking? If you don't know why you're talking, and in my upcoming book on speaking to meetings, if you don't know why you're talking, you shouldn't be talking. If you don't have a reason for what you're saying, then don't have the meeting. The second part of that communication is this. It's not about you. So when you get up in front of people, it's so easy to be tempted to be thinking about what do people think about me? I hope Jeff likes me. I hope Jeff likes my setup. I hope that Mike thinks that my shirt is appropriate for the video recording. I hope that my voice sounds good. I don't like my voice, but I hope they sound like my voice. I hope that my messaging is good. I wonder if their audience is still going to listen to the podcast all the way through and see how many of those pronouns were Mike related. 
me, my, I. And the more we think about ourselves when we get up to present, the more weight we feel on ourselves and the more nervous we get and the more disconnected we get. Mm. After all, if you walk into a room and you are talking about yourself and you're proud of yourself, then what's going to happen? People are going to feel that and feel disconnected. So when you go into any environment where you're communicating, transferring an idea, a message, a thought from yourself to someone else, be thinking about not only why are you saying it and how to talk to that person, but thinking about that, what are you going to give that person? Is it inspiration? Is it clarity? Is it understanding? Is it a new way of thinking about it, which is what I'm trying to give? And here I am trying to give it to the other person. So I'm not really concerned about what I look like, what I sound like, only so far as in it doesn't distract with how you, the listener, is able to understand this. And the more I think about you and how this could help you, and the more I think about how this could help your leadership and your podcast and all these different areas, the more confident I'm going to feel, the less weight on me and the more benefit to you. So communicating, speak to people with a clear understanding of why you're saying it. And then the second part of communicating there is make it not about you. Funny story on when I realized this idea of it's not about you, okay? So uh, do you remember eighth grade, guys? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that awkward time in teenagers' lives. Eighth grade is that pinnacle of middle school, right? Did you guys have dances in eighth grade? Uh, yeah, you kind of sat around and looked at the girls and hopefully got enough confidence to to maybe get get over there. Exactly. Yeah. So like you go in, right, in a middle school dance, and it's like boys on one side, girls on one side. And, and the whole reason why is this, right? Like all the guys are thinking, I wonder what the girls think about me. And all the girls are thinking, I wonder what the guys think about me. But guess what? No one's thinking about you because they're too busy thinking about themselves. And any time that you go into an audience, the audience is thinking about themselves. Now, now, Jeff, Mike, you guys are super nice guys. Your audience, great, fantastic people. But not many people are really going, man, I wonder that shirt on Mike or his voice or, you know, I wonder how his day is going. I wonder what he's up to. Really, when an audience listens to any speaker, whether it's a team leader, a parent, a teacher, whatever it is, Here's what they're thinking. What am I going to get out of this? How is this going to help me? How is this going to hinder me? How is this going to entertain me? How is this going to teach me? How is this going to motivate me? Like You never go see a stand-up comic going, I'm here to support Jim Gaffigan. No, you go, I hope Jim Gaffigan makes me laugh. So when you realize that the audience really doesn't care about you, when they're thinking about the message, I'm sure they're nice people and all that, but really think about you and guess what? It frees you up to help them, entertain them, motivate them, educate them, inform them. Oh, Mike, that's, that's great stuff. Uh, my question is now, I think I got multiple questions. One is at the eighth grade dance, were you the one going to talk to the girls or were you on the side like the rest of us? And the other thing is, um, were you always good at communicating and I know and being present and all that, or is that something you developed over time? I'm, I'm just curious about the background of all that. Yeah. Fantastic, Mike. So first of all, yes, I was one of the boys who would actually leave the other guys and go. My buddy and I, we recognized that, 
that the girls just wanted to be danced with and they just wanted to be made feel special. And so we would go and we would dance. And I lived in Mexico at the time. And so this is the era of quinceañeras. Everybody was turning 15 years old and throwing these parties. So my buddy and I started getting invited to quinceañeras because there's a spot where the, the 15 year old girl would dance with her, her dad and then her grandpa and the family members. And then the DJ would open up to their friends. And it was the most nerve wracking moment for girls. They would literally make sure their friends like, will you dance with me? Come on, will you please? Because they didn't want to be stuck dancing with their uncle or brother. They wanted to, they wanted to dance with a whole bunch of guys. It was part of the thing. That's part of the, the tradition. So my friend and I, we realized this, that we would go out there and dance and just, they wanted this and that was what they needed. That's what they were, they were hoping for. And so we would go out there, we'd say, you look great. And then we would dance. As a result of this, we got known as dancing with them. And so we got invited to quinceañeras where no one even knew who we were. And we would just, someone would bring a, a invite to our school and hand us invites. I think at one point in time, my friend Ricardo and I, we went to something like, I don't remember exactly, I knew at one point, something like four or five months straight of quinceañeras on, on Friday or Saturday or both. It was a lot of fun. So that's the answer to the first one. And was that always great? No. In my book, I talk about this. And in the second edition of Speak With No Fear, I, I elaborate on it. I actually had a speech impediment as a kid. So I couldn't say the just sound. Now, my parents were thorough. They brought me to a speech therapist. And I, apparently, I was extremely motivated and would bring the flashcards and work on it every single day with my mom. And so I had to overcome that. Uh, working with her, having the support and having training and working on it changed. And by the time I was done with elementary school, I was speaking in English in front of people for, for different fairs and such, different science fairs or whatever it was. And then I moved to Mexico and I lost that confidence because then I was put in front of everybody and my Spanish was awful. So by the time I was in seventh grade, I, I was creating a different persona and often I was nervous and anxious and didn't want to go to school and all kinds of stuff. And then eventually I overcame that, moved back to the United States, and then kind of felt a little bit out of fish out of water because I was so Mexican culturally. And I'd just grown to absolutely love Mexico and had some embarrassing kind of public speaking things before finally really working on it and getting to a spot where, although I still have embarrassments, still have embarrassments, they're they're not the defining thing about it. So there's really been three stages of improving that elementary and then starting over in middle school and then starting over in my young adult years. I love that. And, and still I'm sure growing and getting better. Uh, and uh, yeah, what a, what an incredible story. And one of the other things that I find, and it sounds like your parents had such a big influence on your life and uh blessed to to have the resources that you had uh and the insight from your parents about hey we need to help mike uh with this um and then to now see that influence in you traveling all over the world helping people uh communicate better um but i want to get into just in researching you again you give back you know and i can tell that's a big part uh of who you are and in your DNA. But my, my simple question is why do you do that? And how can we perhaps hit, hit 
hit something home with somebody that's listening, that's looking for something. Um, and uh, it kind of ties back into, you know, feelings will follow your actions. Um, but in giving back, you've been someone to take action. Uh, and what has, why do you do that? And then what do you get out of that? Yeah. Every day I start and I pray that I would be able to help people. And sometimes I can't, sometimes I can, but that's my prayer. That's my desire is that at the end of the day, I'll have helped people. As a result of that, it's more valuable to people. People feel value when you, when you help them. Sometimes that value is, is free. Nobody's paying for this podcast. You're not paying me for it to be present. And so it's a free value. Other times people hear me on a podcast and they liked what I said for free. And then that gives me back because then they'll sign up for one of my programs and they'll, they'll join that. So what do I get out of it? I get the knowledge that I help people. And sometimes I get the benefit of getting to actually work with them and get paid for the help that I give people or people buy my book or something like that. That would be great. So if you're helped today and you want to give back, then sign up for some of the stuff that Jeff and Mike do or buy the books that I've written. So what do I get out of it? You get that knowledge, but you also sometimes get that reciprocal reception that that's a big part of it uh, the other part of being able to to do these benefits and and being able to give to people whether it's in nonprofit work or whatever it might be in the work that we did in mexico and the work i do in mexico in africa comes back to this this phrase that when you get all wrapped up in yourself think about that when you get all wrapped up in yourself what do I need? I need a new car. I need more money. I need more of this. I need to look better. I need to have this, this, and this. I, you know, I want people to like me, et cetera, et cetera. When you get all wrapped up in yourself, you make a pretty small package. But when you give and when you give, when you give, think about Mr. Rogers, the guy who did not get all wrapped up in himself, but was able to give to so many people. And even now his legacy has been growing and growing and growing. The people who are so consumed with themselves, their legacy, you might go, that was a genius, but kind of a jerk. And the person who becomes a huge giver, think about Mother Teresa and people like that. You go, man, that was a person who they were so much bigger because they gave so much. I always think there's a couple of analogies on this one, a whole idea of giving. And this even goes to giving financially. It says something like I read something not too long ago that the average Americans giving has dropped down to 2%, less than 2% or less than 1%, something like that. Uh, the average Christian, uh, which talks a lot about giving in churches, yeah, average Christian gives something like 2.8%. So you average the people, you know, my wife and I give more. So that averages out with the people who give less and brings it. So that means that America is very, very much not into giving as much as they used to be. The average American put all those together and you got what, a 2% or less. But think about this. When, when you give, or when you, sorry, when you hold on to something that you have, your, your fist is clenched. And so you're not going to lose it, but you're also not going to get anything. My, one of my goals is to live. In the beginning of the year, I put this on a sticky note on my computer and it said generosity. And I just kept that up there. I just wanted to be more generous. And the idea of this is if you live with an open-handed mentality, yes, you're going to lose some stuff. Yes, some of the stuff that is on that hand is going to fall off or someone else is going to take, but also you're going to receive. 
So generous people tend to have more, not just more finances. Maybe that sometimes they do that too, but generous people tend to have more life, less greed, less, less anxiety and stress. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my friends, his house burnt down. He's just this generous, he's an open-handed type person and his house burnt down. And he just said, we lost everything. And, and he's sitting there with his wife, just watching the firefighters just comb through and, and everything was wrecked and just everything. And his son had left a candle on and it burned the whole house down. He's just devastated, but he's been this open-handed guy forever. And it is interesting. His wife said, we lost a lot but we have each other and all the memories that we lost in that house, we can make more. I think that's an open-handed mentality. Like, Hey, you lost something. You weren't even able to hold on to it. And because he left his life with open-handed, it was sort of sad that it fell out of his hand, but it wasn't devastating. Mm. And his wife said that one thing, because he's such an open-handed person, he was able to go, yeah, you're right. It's not in the hand anymore, but you know what? Our hand is still open. And I'm sure that more things will come into place. Mm-hmm. Man, love every last thing that you're saying and such a good uh, visual of, you know, a fist first, just open-handed. And uh, I recently read um, uh, Vivek uh, Murthy's book on Better Together. And that's just taken me to that space Uh, of just having that open hand and how you can use that to, to help people. Uh, And I guess on the, on the flip side of this conversation, you know, what, from your point of view, you know, not to turn this into a political show, but what do we need to do as a country to, to get united and to have people open up their hands and then therefore open up their heart you know, just the, the pandemic's been such a challenge with that, all the racial tensions that we've had uh, the last few years. You know, if you could give advice to our audience on here's one thing that we could do as a people of the United States, if we could just all do this one thing, we'd be better uh, for it and we'd be together. Treat others the way you want to be treated. And if you think about this with with so much, I mean, I, I'm on YouTube and I'm on my books out there, and people have written comments about my books and that they would never say to my face. Mm-hmm. And people do that on Twitter. And and even you start try to start like an intelligent conversation on those places, and people jump in. But would you do that if one, it was in person and two, if you really thought through how you want to be treated, I don't mind somebody not liking my book. They could say, you know, I read this book and I didn't feel like it had great content to it and it didn't help me. Okay. That's valid. That's your opinion. Other people will say it differently, but the way that we do it, see that right there, that's how I would want to be treated. That's how I'll treat someone like that. I read this book. I didn't feel like the writing was great personally. It didn't feel like it connected with me. But if we were to do that and understand more, uh, in fact, in the book, Connect Through Emotional Intelligence, at the middle of the book is the word empathy. And our nation needs empathy. 
if we're able to think through how other people feel and understand them and empathize with them and walk in their shoes, man, not only will it make us a better nation, but make us better communicators, we'll, we'll be able to think, okay, I understand them. How would I want to be treated in this environment? That's the way I'm going to treat them. Mm-hmm. Now, going back to in that book, I talk about this story. I love this story. I can't remember. I, I tried to find it. I couldn't find it anywhere, but after Trump got elected, a lot of journalists were just devastated. And uh, a lot of the politicians, sorry, a lot of the uh, news anchors. And so some um, just shared their opinions all over the place. One person though, I thought this was great. And this is not for Trump or against Trump. This is about humanity. And this one, this one journalist, she could not understand how people voted for so instead of her lambasting people who voted for him, like, oh, stupid people, da, da, da. instead, she went to understand. And she found three different people who had voted for Trump, not because of just politics, not because of, uh, or sorry, not for being Republicans, not because they like Trump, not because, because they, they conscientiously voted for him. And let me pause right here. Some people who didn't vote for Trump right now are going, how could you conscientiously vote for Trump? exactly the point that person who just said that in their mind you lack empathy and you're jumping to conclusions so this journalist goes this smart and intelligent person went out and interviewed three people and three people who had reasons for not liking what obama had done and for trump now once again i'm not saying i'm for or against this is what this person did and you know what she didn't change her perspective but she changed her attitude now, she still wanted Hillary Clinton and didn't like Trump. So she didn't change her perspective, but she changed her attitude towards people who had a different perspective. And I think if we would try to understand more and listen, not to react and respond, but listen to understand, our nation would be in such a better spot. And then we could really treat people the way they want to be treated. That's how I want to be treated. If I do something that you don't like, instead of just going, you're stupid, I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you voted blue or red. I can't believe you, whatever. Instead of that, if they come to me and say, help me understand why you did that. That's how I want to be treated. Yeah, no, I, I agree 1000% with every last thing that you said. And, you know, C4 leaders is based upon our values of how we live our life and that first c is communication and we define communication as listening with an empathetic ear Mm, yeah with the intent to serve others and so yeah if we could just do that oh man you just see everything so different you know and it's interesting you're in alabama now um i watched a a movie last night uh, son of the south civil rights uh movie um and i'm thinking i'm going robert zeller i think was the guy's name the main character and it was a true story and uh he just had empathy you know and, and that empathy led him to being able to see people in a different way uh and then therefore start taking action for the injustice that he was seeing and uh, man, if we could, if we could just do that, our country would be so different. Uh, and all the the current racial tensions that we have, there's just that disconnect, you know, that we've been talking about and seeing uh, everywhere. Um, 
and just to, that's what, you know, hopefully our nonprofit, we use, you know, pizza uh, to bring people to the table to allow us just to see each other and, and listen to each other and create a connection. And that connection is the, the opportunity to have empathy uh, and to be there for each other and for us to get united uh, as a country. Um, right. But I want to I want to change it up uh, a little bit because I'm always curious and I've been getting away from asking about this. But I think it's just a tremendous you know, question because um, it's something that's not talked about. It's a little bit goofy, but I want to ask you, Mike, how do you make decisions? You know, and, and I know I'd never received any education or any real tips on decision-making processes and methodology. And I don't even know if you've, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, if you've had time to really think this through, but it ties into everything that we've been talking about because if we don't take the time to figure out how we make decisions then usually decisions are made for you uh, by somebody else because you're not in position to to take action uh, and make a choice so do you have a process for how you make decisions or any insight for listeners um, on decision making skills right so i think there's three kinds three kinds of decisions we're talking about right here there's everyday decisions. There's experiential decision-making. So there's everyday decision-making. There's experiential decision-making. And there's exploratory decision-making. Mm-hmm. So everyday decision-making, I mean, this is like, what time am I going to wake up? <laughs> and that's based on uh, every day. You know, is, do I got things to do? Do I have a plan? What, what am I doing? Do I like to work out? What's my natural go-to? What, what kind of breakfast do I want to have today? And so those decisions are usually making on whims, uh, according to obligations, things like that. And everybody has their own kind of metrics, but usually it's not something major that you need to talk about. If you're working out, that's a little bit bigger of an F1, but that's off, that's going to go into your goals and your everyday decisions are going to be influenced by your goals, by your rhythms, by your personality. Then there's experiential decision-making. Experiential decision-making is, is that over the course of time, if you're, for example, I'm a public speaker, I have to make decisions on how I'm going to craft a speech. Now, when I was early in my experience, that was a lot harder because I didn't have a lot of experience, education, background, feedback, success, and failure. So early on, those decisions were a lot harder and it looked a lot more like an exploratory decision-making. But now that I've been doing this for 20 years for me to write a speech from scratch takes significantly less for me to decide what's going to be in a speech. I just pull from my experience. And so a CEO who has had a solid track record of 30 years should be really good at making a lot of the decisions that he needs to make. Are we going to do this or this, this, and he just pulls out of his 30 years of experience. Some of my my clients that are startup CEOs, they don't have that experience. So everything's going to be more exploratory. We'll get to that one in a moment. So in terms of, in terms of marriage, a couple that's been married for 40 years and a good marriage, their, their decision-making with their spouse is going to look a lot different than someone who's been married for one year. 
It's just going to be different, right? A parent who has now had, my, my sister has six kids. The decision she makes for her sixth child is based a lot on the experience she had of successfully raising now adult kids. So if you have a lot of experience, your decision-making should be quick, should be faster, because you've already done a lot of exploratory decision-making. Now let's get to the exploratory. So exploratory is exploring which way should I go? You know, you're brand new married and you're trying to decide to buy a house or you got to explore on that. And really the thing that helps you explore what to do is going to come from several different factors. I'll just go through through uh, a couple. One is your goals. What do you want to achieve? Okay, so I'm looking at buying a house when I'm 26 years old and never bought a house before, never flipped a house before. Um, what should I do? And exploratory, you you look at your goals. My goal is to do such and such. And so I'm going to base it on that. Your values is another one. What are my values? My value is adventure and travel, or my value is frugality, or my value is family. So I'm thinking about buying a house in Alaska, but I have no family in Alaska. And my value is family. Wait a minute. My value of family is probably going to change that. One of the values that my wife holds extremely close is family. Now I hold it close. She holds it closer, just that connection with family. So when we were looking at the pandemic and everything, she said, I'd like to be closer to my family. And so we grabbed a hold of that value, held that. We looked at the goals and held that. Uh, that uh, The third part that I'll bring up here is the support network. So when you're making your decisions, you look at your goals, look at your values, look at your support, look at other feedback. And if I had leaned more into that at different times, I would have done better. And other times I did do really well. It's because partly my network, even moving from Seattle to, and I'm still involved in Seattle. So I just got back from a month long trip to Seattle, but moving my home base and really living. I talked I talk to three people that are very much trusted. We looked at some of our goals of home ownership and finances. We looked at our values and we looked at support network and we were able to make this big, huge exploratory decision. So it really depends what kind of decision making you're doing. Am I going to start a business? That's an exploratory decision. I've never done that before. I've always worked for a cor corporate group. I've always been in insurance, but now I want to start a restaurant. So that's a big decision. That's not so much experiential because you haven't done it before. And so let's explore what are our values? What are our goals? What are our um, support network? And then you could go through hustle. You know, what are your gifts and your strengths and talents and weaknesses and based on other areas? No, I, I love that. And, and, and yeah, I appreciate it. you were just ready to answer that question. And, uh, uh, you know, not that I was trying to catch you off guard, but that's what I love about your books is you just have the practical knowledge. And I, I really appreciate your staff sending me your book. Uh, and I did enjoy it. And I encourage the listeners, again, speak with no fear, write to speak, grow your soul, lead with no fear. Um, and then uh, he has connect through emotional intelligence and some upcoming books. Uh, again, 
you can find Mike uh, at StepsToAdvance.com uh, if you need him to work with your company um, uh, or you got a big speech or, or something going on that you need some leadership uh, development with, uh, please reach out to him. And I know you got to get going here, Mike. So I'm just going to end uh, with uh, how I love to end the show. And it's with a quote from John Alston. And it's, the only thing you take with you when you're gone is what you leave behind. And not to get too morbid. But I want you to fast forward, you're a young man, and let's fast forward, say, 50 years. Uh, you've lived a full life. You have uh, Paxton uh, and your, your wife, Taylor, uh, at your side, and your time has come to go home. Uh, and what is it that, that you want to leave behind from the people that have been uh, touched by your life? Yeah. I mean, so much of life is memories. And so I want them to have memories and memories that are good memories there'll be some bad memories too unfortunately because we always do some things that hurt people and and the course of life but i want there to be way more good memories than bad memories you remember when he did this and not only memories for them but a trend of them making good memories with others as well mm -hmm. i love that that's the power and that's the legacy piece. Uh, and I could see from this short time that we've spent together on this show uh, of that's who you are. Uh, I've read it uh, in your book, Speak With No Fear, uh, through the words that you've used and the quotes that you've decided to take and, and put into that book, which are all powerful and meaningful uh, quotes. Uh, and uh, Mike and I can't thank you enough for, for coming on and sharing your life's essential ingredients uh, with myself and Mike and, and all of our listeners. Uh, and just in closing, is there anything that you would have liked uh, me to ask you that I didn't that you want to get out to, to our listeners? Not specifically. I mean, I love these type of conversations that just go in different ways. And I love talking about my books and I love talking about the different things, but ultimately I love being able to provide value in the area that the person I'm talking to needs value, not just getting something off my chest. So yeah. thank you. I appreciate it, Jeff and Mike for having me on the show for all the listeners for taking time to, to listen to life essentials. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Pashito, you got anything? Yeah, Mike, thank you. Thanks for being on the show. And uh, thanks for all the work you're doing. Really appreciate it. And for all the listeners out there, if you need the party, if you need help on getting the party started at a quinceanera, Mike's your man. He's the guy to go to. <laughs> hey, and that sounds good. And we didn't bring it up. And the audience doesn't know this, but my Pasha, he's got a bunch of nicknames, but his nickname that he had when I first met and Mike, Mike and I are college roommates. So we met when we were, you know, young whippersnaps, 18 at, at university of San Francisco and my Pasho, his nickname, which is still his nickname is boogie Mike. Uh, nice. so I think, I think if you were a little bit closer or if we're ever rolling to Fairhope, Alabama, there might be a dance contest that I could see <laughs> happening um and uh, i'm not gonna let the listeners know who i'm gonna put my money on um but it, it will be worth seeing so everybody that's out there thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of life's essential ingredients uh mike shared some incredible tips uh and, and just to recap 
with one word, I, I think, uh, uh, who Mike is. Uh, he's someone with heart uh, and a heart full of love uh, for making this world better. So thank you for tuning in again. Uh, Pashito, boom. That just happened. We got to just drop that one with our C4 stuff, and we'll see everybody next week. Thanks.